The following conversation is intended for mature audiences only. Those under the age of 18 or without a sense of humor, listener discretion is advised. There are all sorts of ways in which we love to do this. Podcast, the show where we make the dates with our mates. Brayden, TikTok has been taken over. Very likely will be banned in certain countries, including Australia. My question to you is, will you join the Zuma Rebellion? The Zuma Rebellion? Well, inevitably Dude, this time, will lead every to... Every time I talk to you, there's just like, <laughs> there's some new news that I've never heard of. And there's some, there's some hashtag like trending through the roof on Twitter that I've just not I've missed because I, I'm not active on there. Well, well don't don't be too uh, you know self-conscious there because I'm coining that term. I haven't seen it anywhere else. I'm, I'm bringing it to you live. But uh, right. surely you've heard about the TikTok uh, nonsense going on. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, somewhat. Um, I find it funny that some of these Zoomers are already feeling nostalgic for the good old days of when TikTok was fresh <laughs> we're, we're talking a mere uh, i don't know six months ago <laughs> no. it's, it's already a delicacy <laughs> yeah it's uh well so what is the state of it at the moment is it still available on apps uh, on your phones and all that yeah it is for now it, it's been it's been weird right because i think earlier this week so we're recording this uh you know early august basically what happened was uh, president trump threatened to ban it and this caused a bunch of just, you know, media frenzy. And what ended up happening was, and this is where, you know, we're still kind of up in the air here, Microsoft then made a bid to buy it, essentially making the argument that if Trump wants to ban it because of its links to the Chinese Communist Party and the, the data that inevitably will be transferred, the parent company of TikTok is ByteDance, which is a Chinese company. Uh, Microsoft has now put their hat in the ring and said, well, no, maybe we'll acquire it, and then that solves the problem. But that hasn't happened yet. Trump has said, I think, something like they have until mid-September to close the deal, and if they don't do it by then, he's going to ban it. And then it came out that if Trump bans it, the Chinese Communist Party will respond by banning Facebook and Twitter and basically like full nuclear on social media, just taking it all out. And my point is, great, let's just ban them all and go back to normal life where we're just <laughs> talking in person. And I think we solve a lot of problems right there. It's just right there. Let's let's ban them all and yeah. be done with it. Con- consider social media wiped off the face of the earth. Oh, what does that do to us? That's your What does that do to our human connections? Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, maybe that's not fair. Like, there are so many good things that social media allows us to do. But I guess, <laughs> I guess recently it's just been so... Like, I go on Twitter now and I'm just like, what am I doing? This is just a dumpster fire mm. that never runs out. It's just constant fueled of nonsense. Mm. And I don't know where, you know, it, whether Facebook is still like this, but I have to imagine 
I feel like just it's because 2020 has been such a chaotic year in general so many people are just projecting all of their daily tension and stress onto <laughs> onto yeah, their unfortunate true. social media feeds um, but hey hey yeah. let, let me play devil's advocate sure. uh, maybe let's let's put it this way so maybe social media is acting as some sort of a cathartic avenue for some people right so I've heard uh, look don't don't quote me on this but I've heard there's the stats that crime is lower than it was in you know prior to social media so say we do get rid of social media uh, people can't uh, I don't know funnel all their negativity through this through the platforms and then we return to an increase in crime and so forth so I don't know what, what do you think of that I've never heard that that's very very interesting what what do you it's, think would be the rationale for that like why would crime why would there be a trend in in decreasing crime like what would because like maybe the idea is that people are more um socially connected and they they more or, or or just the idea that like any crime that gets committed could potentially be recorded immediately so the incentive yeah. to commit a crime is much less maybe yeah yeah i was i was thinking of it through that through that vein like uh it, it keeps everyone honest hmm. so there is that like you sure we get these crazy uh, cancel culture, these crazy virtual mob mentality online and people will say things they would never say to your face. But on the other hand, um, yeah, we do have that kind of transparency and it, and it keeps everyone on their toes, even though it might invoke a sense of anxiety and stuff. Maybe it is... Maybe it is a little bit of uh, character building. Maybe it is a little bit of keeping us safe. Yeah, just something I thought. No, that's a good point. I mean, the, mm. the the thing I would be wary of is that, like, it seems to me, you know, yes, there are, you know, always going to be video, and so that may disincentivize, you know, certain things happening. Um, I think it's weird, though, you know, because we're, we're entering such a, like, voyeuristic age where you know what really puzzles me is where i see a video where someone's getting attacked or like or there's a fight like you see this in high schools a lot like with a you know also especially like the subreddit fight porn uh if you want to go oh, check wow. that out uh reddit.com slash r fight porn um if you want to just freak yourself out as to why there are so many videos of people getting into scraps and yet the, the reaction of all the bystanders is to just pull out their phone and stare blankly at it into the like it's so weird that like, like and, voyeur, and voyeurism is a weird idea in general because it's this like this this concept of getting off on the idea that you're watching but no one knows that you're watching. It's, it's like the peephole mentality, um, and I feel like it's interesting because it like it destroys the person's agency once they take out their phone. They don't feel they don't feel like they can influence the situation or the or they don't try to. Um, it just seems like it's a very weird thing and so I guess with the video stuff maybe it does do something to disincentivize crime but it also puts this mentality in the mindset of the bystander where they can just absolve themselves of responsibility just pull out your phone and record it you don't need to try to break it up you don't need to try and help someone who's getting beaten on the floor um, and then there's the, the other phenomenon and I think you, this is the George Floyd thing right where there is going to be video of horrible violence, of horrible things happening. 
And if that video blows up and it's coupled with a quite false media narrative that it's everywhere, and if you're uninquisitive enough to be on social media to not find out that that's a false narrative, you actually are deluded into thinking that this is happening all around you all the time. And so it's this other weird thing where there's going to be another video of police brutality. It's going to happen. It, it, it's, it's not even like a possibility. It will happen at some point, at some stage. Will we have global rights again? I don't know. But the idea that just another video emerging, um, and again, I think this is another problem that social media companies just, I don't know what they do, but they certainly have responsibility. Like we're all networked in this way now. And it feels like just one thing can can throw up. Like, and you see this with the social media trends too. Like, remember the the Yorl and Yanni phenomenon, the blue dress, white dress, gold dress, whatever. Oh uh, yeah. You know, those are the harmless versions of it. But when it gets, you know, yeah, viral, right. uh, viral so the- moments of of distress, that really spreads in a kind of uh, crazy, as you said, virtual mob kind of way. Uh, so that would be my point, but I, I, def- I definitely think, you know, you, you're making a good point for the, the devil's advocate, and I certainly think the devil's probably the right term in this case. Not, not, <laughs> yeah. to, not to demonize uh, Twitter and Facebook too much, but I don't think they're getting much love these days. That's a point for another time. Maybe we should talk a little bit about uh, the, the recent COVID news in Australia, since we've uh, had to, I mean by choice or or not by choice this has been a story for as long as we've done the show because we started the show as a result of the story (laughs) and so victoria's in a fun spot now where our cases are are climbing and we're we're certainly getting national attention and somewhat global attention i think and i guess the question is whose fault is it that's what wants to you know one wants to answer (laughs) uh danny boy our our premier is being very rightfully or wrongfully raked over the coals now because of this um and i don't know what what's what's your take on the current situation over here in aussie land where restrictions in australia are are stuff like you can't go five kilometers from your home you can't uh, exercise for longer than i think like 30 minutes or an hour and you can't in the process of that exercise go more than 5k so you were biking i'm sure that's annoying for you and more stuff like that in terms of shopping. Only one person is allowed to leave the house per day. And so I guess the point being is just that in Australia where we've had a lot of freedoms, this is, this is um, disorienting for many people who aren't used to being told, hey, stay in your home and you're only allowed to leave once to do this, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it's a bit of a, like you said, yeah, and it's a nice sum- summary. It's a bit of a disorienting feeling, yeah, for sure. Um, especially since we're, we are a country that has been known of its freedoms, and you were saying Australia, but this is more metropolitan Melbourne. Right. You know, if you're living in vi- regional Victoria, there's still stage three restrictions, so you're still allowed to go out to... Um, you're still... A, there is no curfew, and you're allowed to visit shops, and, and uh, I, I don't think that there's mask mandatory requirements as yet, but, but yeah, we're talking metropolitan Melbourne. Yeah, that's, that's um, a good clarification, yeah. Yeah, which spans from basically like um, Mornington to Mitchell Shire. So, um, yeah, a good distance if you're unaware or unfamiliar of those places. Uh, Getting your geography like Yeah. Yeah, so uh, like you said, da- uh, Danny Boy, he's been raked over the coals. It's um, It does seem a bit unfair, honestly. Like, um, And there is a lot of um, a dichotomy between uh, Scott Morrison and Daniel Andrews in terms of how they want to 
attack and deal with the situation. Uh, seems to me uh, Scott Morrison is very much more of uh, taking a blasé rep- approach, uh, not really enforcing too many laws, or but it is something that he can't really control, right? Because he's more federal, so it's it's up to the states. So all he can do is really give his guidance and suggestions to the states, and then the states kind of take that under their own belt. Right. Uh, so, you, you know, uh, just to kind of um, compare between Gladys and Dan, you know, Gladys from um, New South Wales, uh, Berejiklian, the, the hashtag koala killer. Yeah, I was going to say, charmingly called the koala killer by friendly <laughs> Jordans. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's very catchy. Well, it's but funny yeah, because, but... like, you know, among young people, he is so popular, and it really is a, like, you know, I'm sure they would, I'm sure her ilk and her media folk would like to just dismiss that. But the truth is enough young people pay attention to Friendly Geordies that that's a real, that's a real thing that like has stuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought you were talking about Daniel Andrews, but I, I would also agree with that, right? Like a lot of young people really like Daniel Andrews and therefore Friendly Geordies. I mean, they're both, he supports Dan as well, I think. And um, yeah, like I, look, I think it's, it's totally necessary. Stage four, um, we should have done this a while ago, a long time ago, wave one would have been a good idea. Um, you look over the over the shore and uh, at our brothers and sisters over in New Zealand, um, and they've dealt with it really well. I think they're living up their freedoms and their rights uh, very liberally over there at the moment, just with their borders closed. So, um, yeah, I mean, wave two, uh, second wave shouldn't have happened, and we're doing it, it it might seem like we're doing it a bit late um but it's better late than never and the way i see it it's like if we get on top of it now and keep our borders closed and everything we could get our cases really low while the rest of australia might be struggling uh, especially new south wales being a bit of bit of a more uh, densely populated place than say western australia or right. northern territory or something um so, yeah, I mean, we could be the ones who are laughing um, whilst Sydney's in strife. I really don't know. Um, but at least we're taking action on it. At least we're actually doing something about it. And there's some sort of a plan, right? We keep, we're keep we being kept updated, uh, you know, three weeks into the first six-week lockdown. We knew it all changed. And so this is the next six weeks. So in three weeks' time, we'll be, you know, we'll be out a completely different place. We'll have a better understanding as to what the plan is to get out of it. And, you know, because it is such an unfamiliar time, unprecedented um, and all that, it's, uh, we need a plan. It makes us feel comfortable. It makes us, you know, have some sort of grounding in all this. But yeah, so uh, stage four restrictions has come in and it means a closure of pretty much all businesses that aren't food and those that are food related are just doing takeaway. Um, but what that means as well is I, I had no idea uh, that on Wednesday, I didn't know it was actually Wednesday this week, that it was the last chance to get a haircut. So I uh, didn't, I, I, I missed out on the opportunity to actually go down. Oh, shit. But I do have some uh, <laughs> some some shears of myself, of my own at home, and I got a old mumsy to give me a good trim. And yeah, she to get the homebrew. She gave me the, uh, you know, the close shave, the tennis ball, as it were. Uh, that's funny because, yeah, no, I was going to say, like, when I saw it, it, it looks it looks 
quality. So, you know, you thought it would be a hairdresser or something, but mum's... Oh, right. I mean, good job. you can't really stuff it up, can you? Uh, no, I mean, I've done it. I can do it mostly myself now, but even then, it, it does... Um, you know, there are bits on the side that are sometimes you, you leave a couple strays. Uh, but yeah, if, if you're yeah. careful about it, the next day you go back over it and give That's it That's it. That's probably, yeah, just a little touch-up, bit of a clean-up cut. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I've never been this short. Like, obviously, I was when I was born. I was never full head of hair, but... So, uh, so now that you identify as a bald person, how does it how has it changed your lived experience in the world? How how has it impacted your it's, uh, it's a felt sense of so oppression? <laughs> My sense of what, sorry? Your felt sense of oppression. How does it impact your oh, identity? Uh, yeah. Look at me playing. Uh, I would love to play the victim here. I've got all the all the cards lined up for me to signal all my virtues, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but no, like I I mean. I feel like it's the perfect time to do it. I've always wanted to do it. It's, uh, you know, at, in this current climate, we're not really seeing many people, so that's a bonus in itself, I suppose, uh, if I was ever self-conscious, um, which I'm not, for the record. I'm all good. I'm very no, comfortable you, in my well, skin. Unless it looked bad. I mean, the thing is with the bald thing is that you got to have, like, a, I don't know how to say it, but like a, a nice spherical, symmetrical head. And, <laughs> yeah, that that help does help. Yeah, and you definitely you do. Going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You want to have that nice rounded kind of cue ball, like you've just been, you know, the, those pull sticks that you get the the chalk, and you just want you want oh, that to yeah. be the top of your head, where you just I mean, get nice yeah. and smooth. You think about all the all the people that do uh, like kill it. Uh, first person comes to mind is Joe Rogan. I mean, he's got right. he's got a great bald head. Like he he would not look good with hair. I, th- I think like. And I think that speaks to him, you know, it speaks to his uh, handsomeness as well. It's funny as well because, yeah, like once you become identified with that look, you can't ever really go backwards. Like even if you do still grow hair, you just got to keep it, keep it small. My my thing for you now will be watch how it grows back. That'll be interesting because what you'll definitely notice is that the front will probably come in last. So you might have to like, as if if you're going to grow back, you know, long hair again, you have to like cut around the sides and the back. But if you're lucky, it'll come back in full fruition and and be just as (laughs) luscious and beautiful as before. And beautiful blonde, uh, you know, that natural bleach blonde that you love. Yeah, yeah, right. Bleach blonde, (laughs) yeah. It's not quite so bleach blonde anymore. It's getting a lot more sandier. So it's okay. <laughs> used used to be much more fair, but but um yeah no with the little bit little uh, intricacies of have, being bold, it's like I'm walking and there's wind and it's yeah. so weird. You can feel where there's hair, so it almost feels like oh I missed a spot when I feel it on my head. It's so strange. It's great. Yeah, there's no, that. Good. It and feels like also... you just released all this pent up heat that's just been. Of ruminating on the top of your head, just all gone. Yeah. And now you can you can you can see the steam coming off. It's beautiful, mate. It's all it's all dead skin cells. It needed to go to the wind anyway. Really, that's it. <laughs> Who needs Another it? thing is like when I'm putting a shirt on. It's weird. There's more friction now. It used to be easy, and it used to just slide on any kind of shirt. But yeah. Yeah. now it's it's like it, it pulls against my head and fabrics getting caught on my head. <laughs> I love it. That's that's good. No, it's good because, you know, there are many listeners out there, I'm sure, that are debating whether to take this, uh, the bald plunge, pill, as they call it. <laughs> yep, that's right, the plunge into the um, 
into the literature and then that's good yeah no so be aware of the shirt be aware of the the newfound wind on the top of your skull mm. um did you moisturize did you did you put on some uh some nice little oils to help the the skin <laughs> what after, <laughs> you, the after skin? you trimmed it yeah did you put some stuff on there uh, well, I, I did have a shower, but I was I, I was met with a very interesting conundrum. I was like, well, should I shampoo or conditioner? <laughs> I came to the conclusion, why would I do either? I mean, I could just put soap on my head, I suppose, if I want to just clean it up. Well, and, yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Like, yeah, you, I don't, well, Do you moisturize after shaving, or do you just, you just go raw dog and then just let it be? Normally, I like I'm trimming it, so I don't know if it needs moisturizer, but yeah, um, okay. sometimes. Well, yeah. you, you must Not be channeling always. that, uh, you know, that hunter gatherer. Just get it done because I usually will like, yeah. like usually it's too raw for me. I need to put on some sorbaline or something, you know. But oh, not, right. obviously, yeah, okay. it's not as hard as you. I've I've been broken down by the the many bold bold uh, shavings I've had, which is yeah, uh, must be must be over twenty or thirty times now. I've done it. So it, how many years would that be like all up? Oh, yeah. So as I said, like the first time was just a joke. I think it was like in year nine or something. <laughs> but I did it so aggressively and so and so like short that I feel like I permanently fucked my my hair because <laughs> after that it just came like it used to be that the the front you know what I used to do this weird thing as well where I would just like play with the top of my hair all the time so I think that fucked it up too but it just started coming back like super thin in the front and it could just be wow. natural baldness but I feel like I, it, it happened after that where like my front hairs were now just thin thinner than fucking anything they're just like nothing and so it's like why even why even grow that out? It just looks ridiculous. It looks like the George Costanza like <laughs> Oh you know, no. You know what that Well you're like half there and you might as well be bald the whole time. Yeah. Well yeah, unless you want a scallet, you know, where you just have like bald on the front and hair all the way around the back and sides. Like no one no one's looking at that and they're going, Yeah. <laughs> it's not actually It's like the the Larry David as well. Yeah, that's it. Larry David's got the scallet, yeah. <laughs> and I respect yeah, the scallet, I... but you know. The scallop. Nice. Are you sure it wasn't the the moisturizer that you perhaps put on your head and it's um, no, stripped away no, the, the, the integrity of the the regrowth? You know, it's I like, don't think so. You got the essential oils in there. You know, you got the the okay. growth. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> you could be right. <laughs> it doesn't maybe, seem very natural, is what I'm saying. Maybe you know? a poison like, yeah, <laughs> the last few cells. But it's it's well, much better, isn't it? It's like it's it's clean. It's efficient. It just feels like you're. It feels like when you got when you go for the ball, when you trim it all down, it's like a it's an attitude to life. It's like all around you're just basic, no nonsense. It's a philosophy. I feel like. <laughs> no, I agree with that. And I it mean, does that, save a lot of money on some... haircuts. If you keep doing it on your own, it saves a lot of money there. Just on uh, <laughs> true having to sit true. in some chair for thirty minutes talking to some bullshit. You know. Yeah. On top of that, thirty dollars probably, oh. and that's and then if it's probably shit, every it's like thirty days. If it's bad as well, then it's like ruins your day. It's like okay. Oh yeah. At least no, with this look, you know what you're that. getting every time. There's no, there's no debate. Like, unless you, you know, uh, you know, give yourself a scar on one side of your head, you know what it's going to look like every time. It looks exactly the same. And 
Yeah, I wonder if um, when you first saw it, because it's interesting, because the first time you've done it, so the first time you saw yourself in a mirror, what was your first thought? Because mine was, I remember quite vividly, the first time I saw my reflection, I'm like, I look like a thief. Like, I look like, I look like yeah. some, like, yeah, like some scallywag version of my former self. It's like hustling on the streets, doing like three-card Monty or some shit. <laughs> what was your first thought? Definitely. I, I was like, I look like a hardened criminal or <laughs> something along those lines. I, I do specifically remember um, kind of smiling at myself in the mirror and realizing that all my facial expressions were that much more amplified. It was like my hair wasn't detracting from <laughs> what was happening on my face. Okay. So it was like the whole spotlight was there. and Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, sure. Yeah, there's nothing up top to kind of take your eyes away. And I think that that happens for everyone, I, right. I guess. It's not, yeah, it wouldn't just be me, for me. And, but. So, and, and we can deduce from that that the bald smile is unlike any other. Yeah. No hair right. to get in the way. Yeah. I, well, that wouldn't that suggest that the most attractive women should be bald? <laughs> yes, because then that would speak to their natural beauty. Ah, of their face you know if they go. had a beautiful face they don't need hair look at how progressive this show is right now <laughs> we, we are the we are the fourth wave feminists girls <laughs> shave your head and you'll find a man trust me mate we yeah we are just so open-minded to the fact that anything goes anything goes um, yeah if it's it makes sense baby. logically why not I mean, that, that should be our model motto really there you go uh, we're going to talk about Ghost of Tsushima <laughs> as well. Um, so we could just take a break and do that. <laughs> probably should have mentioned that earlier, but, oh, you know, probably in the title, so you know what you yeah, came for. <laughs> I couldn't save him. I was a coward. Jin, you are samurai. Welcome back to the Mate Dates Podcast. We're talking about Ghost of Shishima and this segment of the show, which is Sucker Punch's latest game exclusive to PlayStation. Um, if you're familiar with them, they've made other games like Infamous, Infamous 2, uh, Second Son as well, I believe, right? I believe they're... Unless they ported that somewhere else, but they're responsible for most of that series, um, which is basically like an open-world kind of it was the thing is, is like you know it was one of the first open world kind of games that did it that way and i do think as well they deserve a shout out for kind of like the innovation in having choice based endings i feel like infamous in at least in my mind is one of the first games to do that really well 
um, and to do it, do it in a way that feels like, you know, kind of meaningfully wraps up the story. And so we're going to talk about their, their latest, uh, I, would, I would say, hesitate to call it a smash hit, like really blown up. Um, I think surprise hit, in my opinion. I, I, did, I didn't think this was going to be as popular as, say, Last of Us 2, but it seems like more or less it is. Um, and that could be because everyone's at home anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah, right. But um, yeah, I think uh, we'll go into detail about what the, how the game is, what our thoughts are about it, give it a brief review and then we'll spend maybe the last 20 minutes or so going into some spoilers and if you want to avoid that you can bounce right about then so uh maybe first you, you were uh, actually the one that got me into infamous i remember so what do you think about the uh, sucker punch's latest installment here how does it relate to maybe your experiences playing infamous and and what's your take on the idea of them really doing something novel and kind of going into the japanese Malure of samurai culture and the history there. Um, yeah, I, I found that all very fascinating that they would go from Brooklyn, like like to that environment where Infamous is set, to something much more extravagant. What what did you make of of this one? Yeah, well, it's very much in their wheelhouse to do something out of the blue and very, very uh, kind of uh, trailblazing in a way. Like Infamous was is a superhero game, really. And it's a superhero we've never heard of. So they had that was already like an uphill battle, like to get us to love a new superhero when there's already so many. And what kind of superhero powers are they going to have? That was very uh, original, I thought. You know, just the idea of uh, someone who can harness the power of electricity and can heal from it and can just kind of play around with it like that's really cool like and the fact that you know in our body it's like all electrical impulses anyway kind of taking that to another level so that, yeah like there's a lot of um dna from infamous in ghost of tsushima and also you you forgot to mention that sucker punch originally did sly cooper oh yeah there you go on the ps2 so um yeah like it kind of feels like that too in a way you know and there's a few little um easter eggs and stuff relating to those series in the game. Nice. Um, like, so just kind of overall, yeah, it is very interesting that they decided to do a Japanese thing. And like I said, it's it's something that they haven't not done in the past, right? They, like, doing something that is so brave is definitely in their palette. You know what I mean? In their yeah. color palette. So, um yeah, being, I mean, initially they caught, they actually received a bit of flack um, claiming that they were going to attempt to do a Japanese game being a, an American studio. It seemed very well, out of that, left field. It's actually, it sounds maybe silly to say that, but honestly, in, right. in, in, in well, an era it where... It sounds silly because because we played the game, right? And, and right. How well it is? Yeah. No, that, that, that's that's the point that really stands above all others. But it, it, the fact that the game is of quality anyway, so shut up. But like the, the idea that like right. really cultural appropriation is has taken to be a serious thing among some people for some reason, and it can be somewhat dangerous. Like th there are companies that mm. are so horrified by the this kind of stuff in terms of taking these bold risks as you're saying and, and being an american studio and saying hey we can do a authentic samurai experience and we can make it work um i feel like it actually is it sounds silly but it really is bold considering the climate that america is mm -hmm. currently in where they are so insular 
Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of... Um, they forgot that cultural appropriation is actually the basis of multiculturalism. So how's, how's that going to work? <laughs> um, yeah, so, so that's interesting, right? Because they did take that risk. They did do a different experience that, you know, because America obviously infamous is where that's set. And I got to say, my favorite part about this game, I'll just expose myself. I think the game is great overall. I do have some gripes we'll get to, but... Overall, the best part about this game is the environment. It's the authentic recreation of, like, what it would feel like to be in Japan during the invasions of Mongols. And, of course, the villain in this game is a descendant of Genghis Khan. So, you know, you've got to have all that historical weight behind it, which I which I do think is actually quite fun. It adds a kind of weight to the story. But, yeah, like, the idea that the environments are so well done like the the particles the way that you know you're in the snowy environments you see all the snow or you go to like the beaches and there's birds and then you mentioned the leaves when you're going through the forests there's just this sort of precision with respect to how delicate all the atmospheres are and i i really appreciate that because just being on your horse and riding through really is not a dull experience you don't get because i feel like um the current place where this genre is at at the moment open world adventure games i get very bored very very quickly it's like if the story is not engaging enough and the world isn't dynamic enough i'm just going to stop playing it like I've, I've tried to get into the last probably three or four assassin assassin's creeds and even the last one was about ancient greece which i thought great i'm in like this is my shit because this is the history that i really you know like to like to indulge in and I still couldn't do it. I still just fell out. And I'm just like, ugh. Because you, you just get bored, like, just going around kind of aimlessly. But I feel like Tsushima, for what it's worth, at least for me, did keep me engaged just by virtue of all the dynamic, colorful environments I was constantly being surprised by. I wonder if, um, was that something that, that stood out for you too? Yeah, 100%. I would say, yeah, uh, the best part is probably the environment, the dynamic nature of it all. But also the the gameplay I thought was so very high quality and something that just felt very different from a lot of other games as well. Um, but yeah, to, to focus more on the environment, just like you said, the particle effects, the leaves. Um, every, it, at any point in the, in the game, no matter what biome you're in or anything, it's just like something's flying in the air, something's got like... You know, if, even if there's no leaves flying around, there's, like, the pollen from the, the flowers, there's birds flying in the sky. Um, this game just has this really nice organic feel to it that, yeah, that, look, it might probably, it probably won't, it's not as accurate to feudal Japan as it actually was. I'm pretty sure it's been em- emphasized and amplified a little bit in its colors and stuff. Um, but that's all to catch your eye, really, and... It, and it does a great job at that. Like it, it definitely. Well, some does of that the color is 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 very authentic, right? You don't get cherry blossoms in many other places, and no, that's stuff true. Like yeah, that. but I, um, I'm not. I'm just. I, I would. Uh, I would question the the validity of say purple white um, leaves. I don't know how natural they are, but right. But it it definitely played with those colors to an extent where it's like you're in a completely different um, area now, even though there's hills and trees and stuff. The the leaves are different, so. Right. Um, yeah, like, it just had a, a different tone, a different feel to that. And the way that in, the game introduced you to the colours as well, it would kind of... Some missions would be to look out amongst a, a, a series of hills 
and you must find the red leaves. And so you're looking around, and then it's not just like one red leaf that you're like a needle in a haystack. It's like no, there's the red leaves over here, and you know now you're going to go. This is like a pathway into another. Um, another well, realm it's, here. It's so. worth saying, like, we're not just talking about graphics here, we're talking about the the visual design, right? Like, And, and the way yes. that the visuals play with the game and your expectations and the quests that you're on, whatever it is. And, like, another example of this is just seeing a fox in the wild and just randomly deciding to follow it, which I did. And yeah. having that naturally lead to a a point in the game where you can upgrade a skill or you get some reward... That's very cool. I, I, I actually, I'm very much against the idea that games need to be hand-holding to the point of literally, you know, oh, that's a fox. Do you know you should follow that fox? Follow that fox. And yeah. like, no, they allow you the opportunity to just notice it. Oh, maybe I'll follow that, see where that goes. He seems like he's going in some direction, so let me see what happens there. Maybe it's going to lead somewhere. I, enjoy, I really enjoy that spontaneous kind of dynamic gameplay. Like another example where... You, I was just kind of going through some forest and you encounter some Mongolian, uh, you know, horde destroying a village and, you know, you can you can choose to, like, intervene, save them, you get something as a reward. Spontaneous stuff like that is, is just fun for me. And so you mentioned the gameplay. Let's maybe talk about the combat mm. for a second. So what did you think of the combat in terms of the way you, first of all, have the stone stance and that allows you to... Uh, be more aggressive against enemies that use swords and then progressively you unlock the water stance which is uh, which is strongest against shields and the wind stance which is strongest against spears and then finally the moon stance which is strongest against the bigger enemies that use like sort of spear guns and shit like that um, so what did you think of the gameplay how that progressed and how that um, sort of over the course of the the game's journey changed uh, did you appreciate how that was done or what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I feel like the game had a lot of freedom in the way you can tackle different situations, scenarios. Like, if you wanted to go out gun, uh, guns blazing, you know, with quotation marks, really, it's more uh, bombs and, and things of that nature because you didn't really have a, a gun in feudal Japan. Uh, I really I really love the bow and arrow. I, I did rely on that a little bit. Um, I've been asking people if they played as Hanzo or Genji. I mean, that's a Overwatch <laughs> reference, but you know, did you did you like the bow or the sword um, gameplay more? And you, the game really allows you that. You can um, build up uh, your traits to really reflect the way you love to play games. Um, it never forced you one way or the other, really. Right. But I really did like the the switching of the stances. On the fly, I felt like that allowed a lot of freedom to, even if you didn't want to use the right one against the right enemy, you would have a, a harder time. Um, but it did remind me of, um, say, Yakuza, because in that game, uh, which is also Japanese, hugely Japanese, it's um, you can switch your stance on the fly as well. So you got like a brush stance and uh, a brawler and, and, and so forth. And so... Um, yeah, it kind of reminded me of that. Um, but yeah, like in general, like the the game doesn't have any uh, inherent lock-on like so many other open-world games do, uh, yeah. notably Assassin's Creed. So um, what that means is you can then have this kind of 360, uh, like wide peripheral view of your uh, combat. 
Yeah. And you can be attacked from any which side. And that meant you could block from any which side as well. So it really, uh, it really opened up your kind of tunnel vision, right? So normally you'd be tunnel visioning, like mashing uh, square to like beat this enemy down, but then not realizing there's an enemy behind you. The, the way the camera was shifting, it was, it, it's very, um, it gives you that nice perspective so that you can block from behind and wherever else. And you've got to think about your surroundings a little bit more. Did you, lo- did you like that? Yeah, no, that's right. And yeah, and the way you have to like use your gadgets, as you mentioned, the kunai, you know, you use that a lot to sort of stun enemies that are behind you so you can deal with other enemies or stun the bowmen who are shooting you. Uh, that that's yeah there's many ways to I, and I like that too the, the idea that the game just gives you the tools and then you're it's up to you to figure out how to use them um, and how to be effective with them and I have to imagine too like I'm playing on um easy again so there you go but oh mate why are you playing easy <laughs> <laughs> I know you can wreck me for that I deserve it can we all shame Jay on this yeah no I do deserve some shaming I think I, <laughs> I it wasn't um I didn't like start on normal or anything and like go down I just I, for some reason I just thought I'm just going to do this one on easy I just feel like uh, I just feel like slashing some dudes and having no trauma but I feel like yeah. if you were on a hard difficulty you really would have to be switching stances constantly like I more or less just I'll, I will switch stances in combat but not nearly as much as I think you would have to if if <laughs> you were on a hard difficulty so keep that in mind if you are going to do a, a, a trying to challenge yourself like that you will be switching stances a lot but I also like the um, the other kind of innovations in terms of combat. They have the standoff mechanic, which I feel like is a lot of fun, um, especially in getting you to feel like a kind of ronin samurai that's kind of nomadically going around. You could just engage any tribe with a standoff. You don't have to engage them from the shadows, and that's a way of kind of having this honorable fight with them. Um, and it's very kind of, you know, badass the way it's done you have to time your buttons as they charge at you and sort of your gin on the screen sort of cinematically cuts them down it's very fun like that it's also got another couple uh features like the cinematic mode which i tried out a little bit it turns all the screen black and white and sort of makes the sounds all lo-fi and that's interesting as well you know i think they tried to make the game as if it was some sort of samurai movie um, because I don't really know much about you know uh, those those movies. I know it's a very rich cinematic um, literature that, that that's there in terms of like kung fu, early kung fu movies and things like that. But um, I think they definitely achieved that to some extent because you do feel like you are role playing as this as this very cool uh, lone samurai who has to fight the invaders off his island, right? And I feel like in terms of the gameplay, capturing that it does it pretty well. And I would say as well, like the stealth, the way the game plays with stealth is quite interesting too, because as you mentioned, you can just, you know, use your bow and your and your sword and go Hanzo Genji style, but you can also do most of your killing from the stealth too. And, and you can, if you do enjoy stealth, um, I would say it's probably the weakest part of the combat. Like it's not as good as the hand-to-hand, just kind of fighting people uh, openly. And some missions force you to be stealthy and you can't, if you get caught, it's immediate fail. And I gotta say, like, those make me want to fucking just <laughs> never play again, just to stop right there and just say, well, I'm good. Um, but I don't know, what did you think about that? Is the stealth, uh, was it as obnoxious as it was for me as it was for you, or did you find it a little more tolerable? I guess maybe my play style is a little bit more leaning into the stealth nature of, of things. Um, well, 
you know, and especially since um, the game takes uh, a really big feature from The Last of Us with, like, that listen mode, um, and the beauty of it in Ghost of Tsushima is that it's pretty much unlimited. Um, Did you use it so a lot, though? I used it heaps. Okay, uh, so I, I, I maybe touched it, like, twice throughout the whole game. Okay, well, <laughs> if you're going to be stealthy, you want to you see your enemies uh, behind walls, behind things. I mean, that that's what the listen mode is for anyone who doesn't know. It basically highlights the enemies as red, and it's very obvious as to where they are. It's almost like Witcher Sense, I suppose. Um, and, yeah, so... I thought the stealthiness was was good. Um, you could be stealthy with the bow as well, unless until you're found out. But then, you know, the, the game would uh, often give you the opportunity to do one of the standoffs, um, where you do that uh, Wild West uh, stare off and uh, and that. So so that with that giving it giving you that option, it kind of felt like. Sometimes you're stealthy, and then you get that option, and you're like, "Oh fuck it, let's just go." Like, yeah, let let's let them know I'm here in an epic uh, way, and and then after that, you know, you can kind of proceed into the fighting and and the yeah that whole thing. So I I agree with that actually. Yeah, I didn't really think of it before, but yeah, that the gameplay was just so much fun in terms of sword fights, right? And so. Yeah doing stealth was like, well, I'm not doing that. So, yeah, and I'm with you. I think I, I did fail a few stealth missions just by thinking, well, I just want to kill this guy now. He's annoying me in yeah, my way like or whatever. Stealth, the stealth definitely works. I don't want to be too critical yeah. of it because it's still functional. It's just that, like, there are many times where, like, the AI aren't even really paying attention. Um, it's just that, like, I don't think the game was meant for stealth. I think the stealth actually was put in there to, uh, you know, facilitate the ability to do these missions and like kind of you know have infiltration stuff but i think more interestingly it actually plays into the story because the story has these themes about you know what is it to be an honorable person mm-hmm. does one need to face their if if you if you plan on killing someone does one need to do it in front of them is there such a thing as an honorable killing an honorable death it plays with these concepts and i and i was interested you know, insofar as the story did try to explore those ideas, and it's fun how the stealth does play into that. Because when Jin kills a an enemy from stealth from the first time, it cuts to this, you know, flashback where him him and his uncle were in some, um, you know, running through some field, and some someone attacked his uncle from uh, the shadows. And Jin has this reaction where he just wants to punish him because he, how dare he hurt his uncle um, without even facing him honorably, right? And then his uncle talks him down and says, no, if you, like, this is what we do. This is our way. We face our enemies head on. And I think that was effective. Like, I, I, that first cutscene was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I'm going to, every time I kill someone from stealth, I have to deal with this tension. But the truth is, no, you're, you're not going to have to think about that at all. You, you're going to kill hundreds of enemies with stealth for the rest of the game. And that's the only time, really, you have to deal with that, um, with that tension. <laughs> so it's a funny thing in games where they try to make you feel compassion for these faceless AIs that you'll be <laughs> killing hundreds of. And it maybe works the first couple times, but then it's like, oh, there's... 712 uh, faceless yellow Mongolian I just threw off a cliff. Oh, well, fair, fair enough. <laughs> it's like, um, it does have a, um, a weakening effect, as, I suppose, as, as the story goes on. But I want to hear what you think about that before we go into the spoiler territory. Um, 
how do you think that the game did, did the game do that effectively where it kind of tried to play with the ideas of stealth killing and samurai honor honor with with also the story being uh, involved in that interplay too is that something you, that kind of landed for you or did you think that it was a bit uh, a bit silly no, I think it. I think it did a great. Uh, I think it did a great job at it. I, but your point is still valid in the sense that it is a game, and so what you're doing is going is, and it's a game of you know you're a samurai and you have to liberate all these areas and they're full of Mongols and, and so how do you do that? How do you actually strike that balance of um, bringing peace to the land, but then also being honourable and and actually. Um, treating people and taking people's lives with a sense of honor like what does that actually mean I think it does raise those questions really well um, uh, so yeah it's um, but the thing there is right like this would be my gripe with the game um, the fact that they did come from the infamous trilogy and in that in those games you the karma was a huge thing yeah and you could you could only play the game as good or bad right. really like if you wanted to get the most out of it you had to lean one way or the other and it's kind of strange going into this one and not seeing that especially with the emphasis on honor and integrity and and all that sort of stuff it it kind of feels like a missed opportunity um they could have done it pretty easily i'm sure um especially say for example when you when you're riding around on your horse or something and you and you find animals and usually the animals are like a pig a bear deer and so you know me being ignorant and whitewashed and all that I just thought well I could kill <laughs> kill all the animals right you're just get, slaughtering get deer on your horse <laughs> yeah I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna suck out all the resources I can out of these uh, so I went <laughs> I killed a deer right. And nothing happened, and I was like, okay, and like I couldn't pick up any any uh, predator belts or whatever they're called. Yeah. Um, the hides. Yeah, yeah, right. And I, I thought oh, it's kind of odd. And I think the very next uh, load screen, it came up saying something like, um, the Japanese very much <laughs> <laughs> dishonor any killing of deer. That they oh, love shit. their deer. Something along those lines. It's like, oh, that's. So it's in the game, and it's kind of like you should know that already. Uh, yeah, that's it's not a, like I got a, a game over screen. Need a history I, lesson before you start the, the yeah. fucking game. Yeah, <laughs> so that would have been, been a good way to do it, right? Right. Like, no, no I think um, you're making a really good point. Um, yeah. And I thought about that too. It's like it feels like to to pro- I, the game starts. This isn't a spoiler, but the game starts like by thrusting the question directly in your face, where. Uh, one of the samurai, one of the uh, Adichie clan mem- clan leaders who has an interesting story as the game goes on where his whole family gets slaughtered. Um, but this guy, like, it, it literally throws the honor thing right in your face immediately because instead of, you know, maybe being smart when we, we're at war with someone uh, and, you know, think about tactics or the way we're going to engage with them, there was the, the, the guy just goes straight down the beach and confronts hundreds of Mongols and says, you know, I'm... Samurai, Adichie, Lord Adichie, da da da. Um, here to face you, and then the the you know big bad villain of the game, the Khan, just lights him on fire, and then like it, it literally throws that question in your face immediately. Like honor will get you this, 
And so it would have been very interesting and fun and cool while the story plays with that tension to have a kind of, yeah, morality system which is is dynamic and, and actually influences the way people react because a lot of the story as well pushes you to embody this identity of the ghost, quote-unquote. Jin becomes a symbol to the whole land. He is mm. haunting the Mongols. It sort of has this symbolic resonance. And it would have been interesting to, th- to maybe say, like, well, um, let's say for one of the missions where you have to uh, break out a person from a castle. It would have been interesting to say, you can go in the front and, and do the samurai honorable thing, and that's going to win you favor with the samurai. But if you do the stealth thing and you take down the whole thing and you poison the Mongols, that's going to win you favor among the peasants who who more you don't kind of care about the ethics of war or the ethics of violence they just want these mongols off their land um it would have been interesting to play with that because the story definitely tries to and i feel like it's ineffective because the gameplay just ends up being killing hundreds and hundreds of faceless enemies um so it's always interesting when the, when I feel like the story of a game is trying to get the player to ask questions about their own violence, when at the same time the game, on a mechanical level, doesn't dis- discourage or uh, do anything to prevent you from killing hundreds and hundreds of enemies from the shadows, right? I totally agree. You're making a very good point that, like, some mm. system of karma or of, uh, like, the Mass Effect Paragon Renegade thing would have been cool it would have been interesting to play with that and have that genuinely influence characters and how they react to you so maybe this is a good time to transition a little bit into the story unless you want to um well just on that point like uh, i think it's worth noting that if they did something like an infamous um where they would have had to have different cutscenes, different um pathways i think the game would have been a whole of hell of a lot shorter not that that would have been a bad thing, but I, I can see that's where the resources would have went, right? Like, right. the game is... I don't know my game time uh, upon completion, but I think it's in the realm of 30 hours. I pretty, It's pretty long. Like, yeah, you is. know, in three of the... Each, each of the three areas, it's about 10 hours in each. I would, I'd say that's about right. So if it was, say, for instance, two different, uh, two different pathways or something, yeah, it probably would have been more like a 15-hour campaign, which is totally fine. I think yeah. So maybe that feeds into it, into it more, where there isn't as much of an excuse really, and it it does feel weird playing it, killing all these people, and then um, don't you care about honor, question, <laughs> Questioning why yeah. you have a guilty conscience. It, it feels a little contradictive. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, it, it feels like uh, why are you lecturing me about honor where we just like massacred all these people? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, it feels like. Um, you know, I took a, a unit on the ethics of global conflict uh, not too long ago, and there's this whole idea of, like, well, first of all, we need to talk about, is there such a thing as a just war? Like, that's the that's the first question. Some some people are just so, uh, let's say, I don't want to say naive. Some people are so repulsed by the reality of violence that they actually think there's no such thing as a just war. We should never go to war because war is inherently evil and we need to eradicate it in order to be... Uh, you know, a peaceful, one-love, unity place, which we all want. But if other nations threaten that directly towards yeah. us, we might we might start to say there is such a thing as a just war. So then the conversation becomes, well, how does one fight a just war? Well, one probably doesn't use chemical weapons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so the game does play with these questions in terms of how you deal with the Mongolians. How do you push them off the island? Your uncle, who plays the role of, like, I would say the, the paragon of the game, is encouraging you most of the game to be honorable, to, to, to follow the samurai way, which is to say, confront your enemies directly, give them the opportunity to fight back, you know, don't poison yes. people, don't kill people from the shadows. That's all supposed to be kind of uh, dishonorable, and dishonorable in the sense that it, it corrupts your nature. So the whole point is that Jin goes down this path of using guerrilla tactics, one might say, mm. um, and, and the uncle's concern, uh, at least, is that that is a corrupting thing, and that's going to cause him to be just no better than the enemy's than the invaders themselves. And so the game starts by proposing that question, I think, quite directly. A samurai rides to his death because he thinks honor's going to somehow win him the day and just gets burnt alive. And you fight this pretty epic battle on the beach. I mean, you can't really do anything. It's just a tutorial. But it's done in a way that feels like, whoa, this is crazy. Um, and then you kind of go through that. The story gets set up. And we fight Khan at the beginning. I could tell it was kind of like a... A, f a fake confrontation with the big baddie that you were going to kind of come back to. I think that was, uh, that felt all very obvious, but I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in for the ride. Um, and so the game starts there, the story starts there, and from there you can do, you can go at your own pace. You can go straight to story missions, you can do a bunch of side stuff. And I, I mostly did story stuff, and i got to say, it's one of these things with these open world games that it can, as you said, it's so long, and like, it's not necessarily a bad thing, it's not necessarily a good thing, I just feel like I definitely fell out at some point, and I actually know the point pretty directly. If we're going to get into some spoilers in a second, um, but I don't know. Do you do you think that coming off the Last of Us two, which is a very linear experience, but linear in the best way, right? You're not getting distracted. You're you're staying intimately connected with these characters and this story and these goals, whereas in an open world like Assassin's Creed, Ghost of Tsushima type game. You just get so like sidetracked and distracted that you can just forget about the story completely. And because the characters are sort of mm. kind of monotonous in general, it's hard to be invested in their in their you know their their role in the story. Sometimes I, that's just my impression, though. Do you have any view there? Nah, true. Like, so a game, you know, uh, uh, comparing to say Red Dead Redemption Two or Assassin's Creed Odyssey, like, those games are much bigger than, than Ghost of Tsushima. Like, Ghost of Tsushima is pretty tame compared to those, but it does it does feel like it overstays its welcome in a sense. Like, I mean, that's just going to be the drawback on any open-world game. It seems that way, But yeah. I, I feel like they did it so well, you know? Like, this game, they just did all the little things right. You know, in terms of, say... Um, let's let's just start with like on your horse, like you just press one button and it can gallop. Like you don't need to keep mashing a button to gallop. <laughs> yeah, dude. You can give oh, yourself bloody what an yeah, innovation. <laughs> imagine like imagine how long it took for uh, you know CD Projekt Red, the Witcher guys, to like oh let's just make them press a button. Why are they mashing A the whole yeah, fucking time for eighty hours yeah, or something? So yeah, it's ridiculous. But so it kind of you know it the game. And Sucker Punch, it feels like it respects you and honors the player even a little bit. So it gives you a lot of more, a lot more freedom with that. Definitely. Um, so it's like on your horse, it's um, it's the fast travel, and it's so snappy, it's so quick. I heard that they actually had to throttle the loading times to give you a little bit more time to read what the hint was. 
Oh, like yeah, they yeah. Actually, actually bring it back intentionally. It like that's crazy. Um, the fact that you can fast travel anywhere, pretty much at any time, and across the the full range of the map, and it it loads like in the matter of seconds is is great. Yeah, and like those fast travel opportunities actually open up uh, just when you ride past them. So if you were to ride past a a shrine or a fox or something, you can actually return to that fox at any point. Just to hammer hammer that point in again, the environments are Mm. like, I I put that in the same bucket there because yeah, like I would not even, I would see like, you know, next mission is four kilometers away. I'm not even going to fast travel. I'm just going to ride my horse. It's like, because it's it's a pleasure to ride through uh, all the different environments. I found, I only use the fast travel, honestly, like once or twice. I barely used it. That's cool. That's really good. Because, you, you know, like, uh, in, in, yeah, I use it heaps. I use it a lot. Because, okay. say, if, if, if a mission had, like, let, uh, dragged me out. So I wanted to do everything in the game. And if, if a mission, like, left me in the middle of nowhere, um, I'd usually fast travel back to, like, the hub world to then upgrade all my stuff to get the gift when you level up or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... And in comparison to Red Dead, like, in that game, to fast travel was a whole ordeal. I think you had to buy uh, the ability to do so, and I think every time you fast travel, it was very uh, sporadic kind of uh, points that you could do so. Wow. You had to pay to do so. So Red Dead was a game that was like, it forced you to ride your horse. Yeah. Like, whether you liked it or not. Yeah, yeah. And, like, that's what actually you know, deterred a lot of people because right. a lot of people just saw that as being boring. Whereas, you know, I'm sure you and I were like, well, we like the environment. So we actually just enjoyed smelling the roses. And well, especially by the, the end, if you're trying to like clean up the, like yeah. what you're doing now, like you need that in place. Like during the, during the experience of the story and all that, I think you do want to encourage the player to more kind of immerse themselves, just right along. And, and insofar as Ghost of Tsushima does that, as you said, you can't fast travel until you naturally come across the place for the first time, yeah. right? So, so it does push you in that sense to at least discover. To explore. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's very true. Um, but maybe, um, so do you want to talk about the story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's do that. So um, there's a few things we should, um, we should talk about. So... Spoilers now, so be aware of that. I don't know how the game ends. I haven't finished the game, but you're going to tell me once we get there, and we can talk about it then, and you're going to give me your thoughts on what you think, how it wrapped up and all that. But let me tell you where I'm at with it. So here's where I stopped caring 100% about about this game's story. So as I said, the, the the, the initiating uh, question of this game to me was... Um, you know, what are the limits of honor or the ethics of violence, right? It's, it's playing with these questions. And I, and I thought that those were really interesting questions to, to start the game off with. And we, uh, you know, we meet a bunch of characters, Yuna, the, the woman who saves us at the battle, and she becomes a very close ally for the rest of the game. We have her brother um, and our uncle, Uncle Shimi, Lord Shimura. <laughs> And the first, the first initiating action of the game is to save our uh, lovely uncle, Shimmy. And he's been captured by the big baddie, of course. So that's great. Whatever. Typical shit. Um, video game. Let's, let's go. Let's save Uncle Shimmy. Let's get this ball moving. So we go to save Shimmy. And we rock up to the, to the, to the Khan's uh, 
to the Khan's fortress at that point in the game. And this mission basically happens like three more times, as far as I could tell, um, where you just have to infiltrate a castle and do something and then you get the castle. It's like that just seems to keep happening. Um, and we get Shimmy out. But before we get Shimmy out, we, we confront another character that we've come across called Ryuzo. And Ryuzo was uh, Jin's best friend, longest friend, one of the people that he dueled with when he was coming up as a samurai during the training. And we got to, you, you get to experience these conversations. We help Ryuzo. Um, he's basically, he's kind of like a, um, a samurai that didn't become a samurai because he failed whatever test. And so he's sort of this kind of straggler and he's got his own crew of of guys called the straw hats and he's commanding them and they're obviously uh, recognized by their straw hats and you get a pretty cool outfit because of that and yeah you're friends with this guy he's supposed to help you get uncle shimmy out but he's he's suspiciously absent when you when the mission starts and it's mentioned by yuna and and jin where's uh where's where's your boy where's he at and then for some reason he shows up and wants to fight you. He's basically saying, I've, I've betrayed you, and I'm joining the Khan. And then you are, and Jin asks him, why Why is that? We're best buds. What's the deal? I helped you with your boy. What's going on? Basically, his motivation is, my men are starving, and the Khan has promised me food. So if I kill you, or if I fight you, or whatever, he's going to give me food. So you beat him, and he gets away. All right, cool. Uh, and then there's a cutscene that is directly after this. This is where I think the story just loses every sense of cohesion. I just completely was like, what? That makes no sense. He, the Khan is taking over Castle Shimura as you save your uncle. And in order to get, in order to get them to open the gates to the castle, the Khan gets Ryuzo to burn one of his men alive, to burn one of his own men alive at the stake right there and he's about to do it to another one before the the castle gates open and my point is this guy betrayed his best friend for his men and then just killed his men like that was supposed to be his motivation that like so so once i that that character's motivation just completely fell apart i gotta say the story took a big hit there and then as the story progresses i've just gotten past the point where you confront Ryuzo again and you kill him and it's supposed to be this big dramatic like scene and I gotta say like I was just I'm just checking my watch I'm just like can we just I'm listening to a podcast I'm barely paying attention because it's like it destroyed all of my my care about you know these characters um so from there I'm, I'm just ready to wrap it up and I think I'm close to the end but I'm much more interested to know what you think about the story because you've gone a lot deeper into it so what, what's your take on it is it has it been as uh depressing as my experience has been yeah, I mean, uh, Ryuzu is uh, Ryuzu is a pretty, pretty uh, shady character, mate. Yeah, uh, <laughs> at oh. the very least. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Seems very selfish, honestly. Like if his if his motivation was to help his men, and then given the opportunity, he'll just burn his men anyway. Like, well, uh, look, I'm I'm I get that this is a samurai. Like, I'm for the uh, the melodrama. I'm there. Like, I get the point of. Like, I, I don't know much about the history of Japan. I've read some of, like, Musashi and, and the Book of Five Rings. I've read some of that. And I understand that, like, some of that... Some, I understand some aspects of that culture, but I don't really have a deep understanding of it. But I do know that, like, part of the point of these... of the samurai um, theme is to really emphasize the drama, like, betrayal and honor and, like, all that stuff is supposed to be needlessly emphasized. 
sure. But I cannot buy... Like, how do you... I don't know, I'd be like cognitively impaired to buy the story beat that my best friend betrays me because he's concerned about his men and then he goes and kills his men in the very next scene. Mm. Like, and who's, who is he betraying me for? This guy who is completely unreliable, who knows that he can't be trusted. Like, the Khan has no allegiances to anyone there. He's a vicious, ruthless guy. And he can be trusted over Jin, who was already helping him get food for his men. What? <laughs> like, sorry? I don't... Um, so, and look, I've got to say, like, beyond that, the story is... is There are some enjoyable parts, and the cutscenes are done more or less pretty well. I mean, it's not Last of Us level, but it's but it's still pretty nice. And I and I do like the, the dynamics between Jin and, and Lord Shimura. I think that's done well. The flashbacks are done well. Mm. I've got to say, Yuna is not really a character I really get, you know? It's, every cutscene, she's very robotic. It's like, I understand that she's this kind of ruthless thief um, who sort of has carved out her own way, and so she's kind of emotionless in that sense, but... I don't know. Some sometimes you feel like the cutscenes are a, are a bit cheesy because they just feel very monotonous and and um, they lack a they they uh, they feel too serious sometimes. Like mm. it's hard to put into words. Like I feel like execution wise, it's all there, but it's just the the writing in some places and and all of that. And so yeah, I'm at the point in the story yeah. now where basically this this kind of honor thing comes to a head. You take back Castle Shimura and in the process Jin does a lot of you know shady things poison poisoning the Mongolians um, and you know using stealth tactics uh, and this causes a rift between him and in his uncle and specifically because his uncle does not think this is like you know an honorable way to conduct oneself and Jin's argument is kind of like consequentialist right it's kind of like a utilitarian he's just saying look it's just how we got to do it like you can't yeah. just you can't just keep running into fire and expecting it not to burn. Um, you know you got to have some sense. You got to have some tactics because um, they certainly do, right? Like the Mongolians aren't just going to run up to you and, and fight honorably. That's not going to be what, how they're going to play it. So and and I and I like that that aspect of the story for sure. And so I'm at the point where I'm trying to reconcile with Lord Shamir. I'm trying to leave him a note that says, you know, come help your boy. We'll get the Khan together. Be all be like old times. Um, and obviously you've played more than that, you've finished it, so where does it go from there, and are you satisfied with where it goes? Well, honestly, I'm more interested to see what your speculation is, how it kind of unfolds. Um, and yeah, with the with the letter, you got to leave the letter, because obviously it's 1300 Japan, and you yeah. uh, can't just leave a cheeky text message on That's his phone it. and go, come on, Uncle Shimmy. <laughs> Give me <a> TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Just a quick TikTok, just to get the message across. <laughs> yeah in dance form um yeah no I'm, I'm much more interested to see where you think it's going to go and then i and then i'll tell you i think no because okay so it's just now like what i think um oh that, yeah, yeah like just good. generally like yeah yeah um well obviously yeah you're gonna have a fight with big baddie you know mm. kill the khan and th- i guess there's some possibility for reconciliation with you and the uncle so you mentioned that there was a choice at the end I'm thinking maybe maybe this honor thing maybe does actually get played with. Maybe there's a point where you could spare the Khan and then uh, Lord Shimura, he like, respects that and so maybe that's one ending. Or maybe you can viciously kill the Khan but then that, that results in Jin being exiled because of his um, ghost status, right? Because he's more associated with the symbol as opposed to the samurai. So I guess that's where it could go. 
Um, I assume maybe Yuna gets killed in in the mix as well because you got to have that happen. Um, <laughs> like she's an expendable character. Look, it seemed that it seemed like that's what happened with the brother. Like the brother, you, you do this mission where you, you've you've sorted out Yuna and her brother. They can leave. It's all good. And then for some reason, he just shows up at like you you invading a castle. He just shows up. I can help. It's like well, you can't, and you're probably just here <laughs> to make an interesting story beat, which is like, all right, fair enough. Um, so I feel like Yuna maybe might be done dirty like that too unfortunately um and yeah i could see that happening Yuna being killed and maybe some something about being able to kill the khan or not kill the khan and having that play into the whole story theme of honor and and that i, I guess that's sort of where i see it going but uh mm. how accurate is that <laughs> i think you're somewhat right yes it definitely plays with honor it kind of goes full circle um so from memory like i think you just kill the khan i think yeah he just goes away i don't know I don't, GG. I don't really remember it's just another fight for me <laughs> in a way so it kind of lacked that um it was definitely epic like the whole game is epic. at any yeah. one point you can pause it you can screenshot it and you're like wow this is just is it straight out of a yeah classic japanese samurai movie probably like yeah i should, it say, it should say even though we are being oh i'm being very critical at this point it's like i still think this game is great like it's really good and it's yeah. worth your money it's just that like if we want to be nitty-gritty about it um, there are just like kind of a few, you know, just in terms of like dialogue and just some moments where you're like, oh, really? <laughs> like, and that's yeah. fine. That's gonna that's gonna happen, especially in a triple A AAA game that's so big and so so many different stories to follow. It's like it's 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 inevitable. But yeah, so keep going about um your story there, the ending. What what's going on? Yeah, and then and then so you know, uh, Lord Shimura, he he gives you a a way to rendezvous after this has all happened, after the dust has settled, mm. you kind of, you meet it, you meet it, you meet with him one more time. And it's very kind of somber. It's very, it's just very fascinating seeing them together and actually being able to have a human uh, encounter with one another. Right. And, so you end. It's actually at the place that you originally sparred with him at the start, or like in that flashback. The cherry blossoms. Yeah, yeah, lovely cherry blossoms. And you actually have a spar, um, but this time it's much more serious. And you kind of just, I think it, you basically agree to do it in a way that's like this makes the most sense um, for us to separate our differences we need to fight it out and i mean i guess that's maybe feudal J japan uh logic i don't know uh but it, it it makes sense in the context of all things i suppose and so after you kill him obviously because if you don't kill him then you die and then you have to re restart and try again until you do so you get to the point where you defeat him and you i think you slash his ribs or, or something like that so but it's not fatal and he's on his knees and he says Something along the lines of, um, uh, now you must honorably kill me or something. And this is where you're presented with the op uh, with, with the choice. Hmm. So you can either honorably kill him or stick to what Jin is, who Jin is as a person, as a, as a person in relation to the samurai clan. Like, the other option would be to walk away and deny him of his honorable death. So for me, I felt really hard. At, like, I, I didn't expect the choice to come at all. Uh, 
considering the only choices throughout the whole game is like, Dying do you want to talk about this or that? Yeah, or, yeah. When you're in, when you're taking a bath, and you're like, do you want to want to reflect on this or that? So, so like, there's not many that that many choices. Um, but that's fascinating. So, so you do fight to the death. It's not like a, a friendly spa. It is like a, we need to sort this shit out. And yeah. So and and the decision it's kind of inverted to what I expected then because the honourable thing in his mind is to kill him at that point, and you can yeah. just leave him alive. But you would think that if you left him alive, there's, there's, is there more story to follow or like? What? Is there more to do? Yeah, you, you would think so. It pretty much just ends there, though. Okay. Um, I guess it kind of leaves it open for a sequel because that's what they love to do with these sorts of things, especially if it's popular. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I thought, I thought that was very interesting, you know, because you could kill your uncle and that would be the honourable thing, right? Okay. But in in what capacity does Jin actually want to be honourable? Like, you know, because you haven't had any impactful choices throughout the whole game, he's kind of chosen his own pathway. He's been the ghost, right? So he's always been doing things his way rather than respecting what the samurais want to do and to be honorable. And so with that, it's like I couldn't bring myself to kill him, to kill Uncle Shimmy. Like, it just... That was just the last thing on my mind and the fact when that choice popped up I was like yes I you know because I thought it was going to happen that way and that he would honorably finish him off and I don't know regain some sense of honor but for me like he's the ghost so he's he just he's got to pave his own path and he's not um, bound by the um by yes. the samurai. Yeah, he's not a slave to honor. Orthodox. That's the yeah. thing. Right. That's, that's actually a, one yeah. of the. That's a good way to put it. Actually. The, well, that honor. was one of the quotes at the end of the game. Honestly, oh, okay. So I'm not. That's not me. But <laughs> yeah, he, he said something like, you know, uh, Uncle Shimmy's talking to uh, Jin, saying, "You you never respected honor. You never you know, you never did it our way. And why did you have to do this?" So there's a lot of reflection and and stuff in that conversation and the few words exchanged there. Okay. Um, but yeah, and then Jin re- retaliates, saying, "Well, you know, I'm just not a slave to honor." So yeah, that, that's kind of it. And he walks off, and you're like, "Well, what's he going to do now?" I, I don't know. But at least the way I saw it, Uncle Shimmy's alive. You want to hold on to your family as well, you know? Let it. Let him uh, spend a few years contemplating and reflecting on what happened and maybe they can <laughs> maybe well, yeah, yeah. But, in in I your mean, head head canon they've, they've resolved their differences uh in a few years time maybe yeah 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 i'm a very you know wishful thinker so no that's all right um yeah and it's interesting but, but, how that, that that's how it ended because as yeah. i said before like that those were the best parts of the game in my opinion where you had you had those conversations between him and Jin, and those questions did come up um and so you left him alive, and then so there's there's nothing um, that you notice that happens after that. Uh, no other quest that pops up. That's just the end. And you assume it's the same thing if you kill him. Yeah, I assume so. I haven't actually looked it up looked up what happens exactly. Um, I'm sure you just slaughter him and behead him right then and there. But and that would is, is it an open question? Well. You know, he he says killing me is the honourable thing. But is it? Does the game maybe allude to the fact that it's a kind of open question if it's an honorable thing like he thinks it's honorable but is it honor is it actually honorable to to kill him in that way after a battle um you know as as you said as you good said question. Like, yeah being being um so honor obsessed uh 
that it forces you to basically just do stupid shit um, is interesting. And, and that could be another example of that, where his own conception of honor may, it says, you know, I need to die now. But Jin sort of having a more nuanced look view of the morality of violence, say, is able to see that there's no, there's, there's not, I mean, maybe it's, Maybe it's his def. Maybe it's Shimura's definition of honor, but I'm sure for Jin, in terms of his motivation, he just wants to help the people on his island, get rid of the invaders, mm. and I'm sure he loves his uncle. He doesn't want to just needlessly kill him. But maybe there's an interesting comparison yeah. there in the way that Jin kills Ryuzo, because Ryuzo says to him, like he begs for his life, and Jin just kills him. You have no choice there. Um, Jin just sits down with him and says goodbye and just kills him. So. Maybe that maybe that could have been a point where another choice maybe could have been made, mm. um, and maybe maybe there's only one choice in the game because of you know development reasons we don't really know. But it is mm. interesting that they do it at the very very end. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does make it interesting, especially for if there is a sequel. Like, so does your save carry over, right. and then Shimmer is not in one or the other. So yeah, it does make it very strange. Uh, but maybe that's it. Yeah, it does muddy the waters if you give them too many options, and then it becomes the game that we actually wanted with more of a morality system. Right. And, yes. Um, yeah. It, so it, it would have been nice actually that way, and and not really worry about a sequel. I'm sure Sony's behind the scenes going, leave it open, leave it open at the end, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> we want to do another one. You know, make make it easy for yourselves to do another one. Like that. So, um, yeah, like if it was this standalone game it's, it was always meant to be a single uh, experience yeah it, it definitely would have been better I, yeah I think objectively it would have been better as a morality system it would have made it more personal to ourselves and made it more yeah our story um, it just would have made um, I don't know. a lot more sense because oftentimes yeah. like Infamous did the morality thing and even Mass Effect did too but oftentimes like it doesn't interplay with the story well enough like but this is kind of the opposite, where the story is proposing these questions about using violence in certain True. ways, but yet the game seems to contradict that those those thematic questions. Um, yeah, and and that's yeah, fine right. as well. It's like it's not going to be perfect. But let me ask you this: in terms of like holistically, um, we basically gave a quick synopsis there of the story. Your uncle gets captured, save uncle, kill the guy who captured him. I assume you push off the invaders then at the end too. Is there sort of a triumphant, like, kind of, you know, we, we kicked the Mongols off and now we've got our island back kind of thing? Is that... Yeah, I think it's something along those lines. And then it's um, saying how, oh, you know, there's, there's still a few around. We can just clean up the scraps. And I okay. guess that's hinting at the fact that you can clean up the the rest of the map. Um, but but should, could you speak a little more just about, like, holistically, the characters, the narrative? How satisfied were you? Is it? It's clearly not a 10 but where would you put mm. it? Is, is there a number you could slap on? Oh, uh, yeah, maybe a, maybe an eight or something. I don't know. I, I, I don't really think numbers do it a huge amount of justice. Um, Fair enough, yeah. But, yeah, look, I guess the characters were likable enough. I mean, they're kind of forgettable. I'm, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, it was more the environment, like, like we keep pointing at. Um, especially, I just thought of that that house that's like in the middle of nowhere and it's like on the stilts. Do you, you know the one I'm talking about? I think that's Yuna's house. I'm not oh, sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that. I just thought that was just crazy. Like just yeah. the, the 
the sight of that. Like, I can imagine if it's modern day and, like, that same exact uh, landscape would be, like, just a series of houses or something like that. Um, and But back then, it's just the one house and so so secluded and um, tucked away from the rest of the world. Yeah, and it feels like, like, that unique, like, they made that specifically. Yeah. Right. right. I, I think it's the like same handmade. thing with, like, uh, Umagi Cove, right? Like, and, and there's, like, this yeah. kind of golden temple that you go to at one point. There's very unique environments, and I really appreciate how much effort was done there just by the art team to make everything feel, like, super unique. You know, I, I agree yeah. with that for sure. But, look, I guess coming off the, the back end of Last of Us, and it kind of is unfortunate because that was such a story... Yes. Driven game, and then we get something that, you know, is ultimately going to be compared to because it's in the in the proximity of the yeah. same of the of the same release and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I just I think the story wasn't the strong point. I was playing in Japanese audio, so I kind of missed a few things, maybe perhaps. But yeah, I played it. I played it in Japanese because uh, it just felt more authentic and stuff. <laughs> and I know you're not a real. Uh, Good for you. That's fine, but... Well, you know. that actually is interesting because, like, part of the reason why the cinematics were so dry is that, like, yeah, Yuna's, Yuna's English voice actor was, like, very monotonous in everything she said mm. every time that she spoke. And even the Khan, like, the, the best scenes, I think, at the beginning were between the Khan and Shimmy. And even those scenes, like, were good, but the Khan would speak in this weird way where and it's like huh. so you, so it's actually interesting because the japanese uh vocals actually probably made it a lot better i i feel like the fact that i actually yeah. played this game on english was a, not a good idea because you actually don't even know that like yeah the the voice actors for english were very weird in certain places so yeah you might you might have done yourself a, a, a solid well, <laughs> that's very interesting you mentioned that I, I didn't know that at all like i haven't really looked at the english at, um, Why would yeah, you? yeah at all yeah uh, I think I, I changed it pretty much straight away because I knew that you could play it in Japanese audio. But it, it, that's, in, that's especially interesting to me because in the credits for the English cast, it looks like a lot of Japanese names there. Ah, so okay. what that says to me is maybe the English is a... I don't know. They, I mean, they w they're American studios, so they would have originally wrote it in, in English and then translated to Japanese. So, um, yeah, maybe it is just the voice actors, not... Um, expressing themselves as well as they could have or something like that yeah well, again it's not it's i'm i'm overblowing how how like bad it is but <laughs> certainly, it's no it's no andromeda yeah right. right right it's 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 not terrible and you can get over it but certainly mm. there are parts where you're like they couldn't do that line again <laughs> um and some lines will be like super monotonous but the next thing they say will be way up like lots of energy um, yeah right. Yeah yeah. Yeah, so that's fascinating, I guess. But okay, so you say an eight kind of, and I think that's yeah. If you include all the gameplay and and really the bang for your buck, um, yeah, that's that's definitely an eight or a nine or something like that. And if you can't get it now, I would say the first day this goes on, you know, discount, pick it mm -hmm. up. It's it's definitely worth it. It's it's one of the best open world games I've played in a long time. Probably since, like, The Witcher, honestly. I don't think many other open-world games really capture my attention these days. As I said, Assassin's Creed, I've tried a bunch of times to reinvigorate some some care about that series, but alas, uh, it has not uh, stuck with me. And I'm trying to think, what other open-world games have... 
come out. Like um, Horizon. Horizon actually was alright. I thought it was alright, but again, it didn't grab me. Um, I actually played a lot of it though. I, I will yeah. finish that sometime, I, I think. But certainly the story, <laughs> the story didn't capture me. And I got to say as well, even though we have, I've been very harsh on the story and the writing and the characters. Most of these open world adventure games don't have anything close to a story even this good. So I guess yeah, you got to right. be thankful for what you get there. Um, and as you said, it's, coming off The Last of Us, it's kind of hard to not think about the story. But really, in essence, this isn't a game about the story. It's more about role-playing as a, as a Musashi nomadic samurai, and, and that's, its, yeah. that's its own reward, isn't it? So True, true. And, and we didn't even really talk about the costumes and how various they are and, and the fact that you can have the skills of one like the traits of one costume and then be able to completely change the way that looks with the different dyes, the way, um, the lots of different hats and masks that you can wear. So yeah, I feel like that really yeah. changed it up and made it more personal as well. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people love that shit about these kinds of games. Like that's what they want. They want to be able to have full customization of how they look and, and uh, as you mentioned before, at this the skills tree, as the game progresses by the end, mm. you really are like a master samurai. You've got so many gadgets, so many different weight methods of attack. Um, it is good. Everything about that's done really well. So I think overall you have to give Ghost of Tsushima a, a solid couple thumbs up from these boys. Yeah, from these cheeky lads. And um, yeah. Just just one more thing as well before we um, finalize this. I think... Um, with this game overall, I had more, f- like, I mean, again, we're comparing to Last of Us, but I had way more fun with this game, <laughs> yeah. if that makes sense. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, sure. But, when I, but, I, but then again, I had more fun with this game, but I liked Last of Us more. Yeah. So, you know, take that as you will. I think that all games don't have to be fun, but fun is a good, you know, uh, <laughs> barometer to figure out, you know, how much, what, like, to figure out what kind of experience you're after as well. Like, The Last of Us, you go into that because you're in for this roller coaster, this this crazy story, the, yeah, the linearity of it, and not really in it because you're like, I like everything that they're doing, you know? Because it's like, it's like any media doesn't have to be fun. Like, who says that, right? Like, then we wouldn't have anything that depicts pain and misery or the other range of human emotions that we can enjoy or experience, right? Like, right. no one's watching 127 hours and going, oh, yeah, I love the part where he was stuck in the rock and he had to drink his own urine. That was great. <laughs> I, I loved it. I was laughing. You know, it's like not everything has to be a comedy, not everything positive, so, in media. What, what do you think of that? No, yeah, I think that's fine. I think that's true. Um, it's funny as well, like, you know, The Last of Us getting so ruthlessly criticized uh compared to this like you know the weird thing about that was that like it feels like people i'm fine with people disagreeing about like the validity of such and such and and you know how effective was the game at delivering its message blah 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 but i think what you're saying about it not being not having to be necessarily a fun experience that sort of throws a lot of people off because they don't even get the criticism right like they, don't, they, yeah. they they they, they right. dislike it before they even understand what it, the, the game's trying to do, um, and so I think that was that you saw that a lot with Last of Us too, and it's funny how with Ghost of Tsushima I've seen a lot of people praise the story, 
but then uh, like in terms of the, the the base mechanics of a story like characters plot writing dialogue the last of us like blows this thing out of the water right understandably but this game definitely does have some interesting themes but the dialogue and, and all of that doesn't even come close so it's just to say that yes it's more fun in terms of gameplay you're role-playing as the samurai figure and that has its own place right but i guess just reflecting on how ruthlessly last of us 2 was criticized by a lot of people uh you know it's it's again this idea that yeah you don't doesn't need to be fun and mm. if you're not having fun at least get your criticism right about why it's not fun is it because of the themes that the game is trying to promote or is it because it's not executing its its message properly like at least get that refined in your mind so that you can properly critique it and uh, but if you're just going to say i don't like what the game did that misses the point i feel like that misses like a big chunk of it and i feel like with mm. Tsushima, maybe the criticism is that you know i don't want the story to be about questioning my use of violence right i should just be able to do whatever i want that's the that's the equivalent of like the joel thing um i feel like where it's mm. like well the game wasn't made by you like make your own one if you want to do that yeah <laughs> but then also with, with yeah. this right like i guess also with this you could turn a blind eye for those people who don't who just want to role play as a samurai and just kill endlessly and without any any repercussions you it's like <laughs> you can do that you can do because that. the game allows you to do that and that's what we're saying when it comes to a con it being contradictory uh, with what it's trying to yeah the honor and everything there so um yeah you can definitely just pretend ignorance is bliss and then just go ahead and go yeah this game's great and um i can i can do what i want and i can just kill everyone without any any drawbacks so so enjoy your samurai slaughtering out there ladies and gents and that'll do it we'll see you on the next bye thanks See ya. Oh. <laughs>